It's on. Matthew chapter 24. Beginning in verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so far for blessing us, Lord, with the singing of hymns and psalms. And Lord, we pray that, Father, you would help us now, Father, to have ears to hear what the church, what the Spirit saith. Under this church, we pray that, Father, you'd be honored and glorified. We pray, Father, Lord God, that you'd help us to understand this very crucial and very important truth. I pray, Lord God, that we'd be moved and inspired by it, not only to glorify thee more in our hearts and our lives, but, Father, also to be excited and encouraged to go out and preach the gospel unto every creature. Father, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it alone is the power of God unto salvation, unto all that believeth. Father, we love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Many generations have come and gone since the disciples first privately approached Christ with these questions. Every generation since then, hoping, believing, and proclaiming that his coming and the end of the world would be in their lifetime. And yet, here we are, 2,000 years later, still waiting for his return and the end of the world. The scoffers, whom Peter says walk after their own lust and say, where is the promise of his coming, have greatly increased and have even been emboldened by his delay. Many false Christs and false prophets have risen and deceived many. And sinful man, as in the days that were before the flood, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, continue eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, knowing not, the Bible says, until the flood came and took them away. Many generations has passed since our disciples first asked this question. And with the passing of each generation and the continual delaying of our Lord's coming in the end of the world, it makes it more difficult for God's people sometimes to preach the gospel because the world begins to think that we're nothing but fools, that we've been deceived. And it's imminent and it's important for us to be reminded of our Lord's exhortation in these two chapters of Matthew 24 and 25 because all the exhortations are directed towards His people to always be ready and watchful. Don't be slothful. Don't fall asleep. Even though my delay is, is long, even though my coming is long in delay, do not become slothful. Do not become 
sleeping, do not become indifferent, but stay awake, stay alert, and keep preaching the gospel. Always be ready for the coming of the Lord. Therefore, now more than ever, with the passing of so many generations and the coming of the Lord and the end of the world yet still to come, never, dearly beloved, has our Lord's exhortations in these two chapters to be watchful and ready been more crucial and imperative than now. For as the signs of His coming are clearly evident, so too the signs of His people not being watchful and prepared for His coming are also clearly evident. Just look at the exhortations throughout these two chapters and you'll see that the church is truly not watching and not ready. For many, as in the days of Noah, are eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, knowing not. The good man of the house is not watching against the thief. In verses 42 to 44, the faithful and wise servant, because the Lord has delayed His coming, has ceased to give meat to His household in due season and has begun to smite His fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunken. The reference is to His preachers, I believe. They're not feeding God's people in due season with the meat but they begin smiting the servants and eating and drinking with the drunken. All ten virgins have fallen fast asleep. Chapter 25. The unprofitable servant in chapter 25 has hidden his God-given talent and not put it to the exchangers that it might increase his master's prophets, talking about the gifts and graces God gives his people. The hungered remain hungry. The naked are not clothed. And the prisoners are not visited. The church today is lazy and slothful and indifferent and asleep even though the Lord for two chapters exhorts us not to let that happen. And beloved, it's even more harder, like I said earlier, with us in this generation. 2,000 years have passed since, our, since the disciples asked this question and our Lord gives this long response in chapters 24 and 25. 2,000 years. Back in the days after Christ ascended into heaven, a few, even a few years after that, it was probably more easier for the disciples and the church to preach the coming of the Lord because those events were still fresh on their hearts and their minds. The events of His crucifixion, of His preaching, there were still people that had heard Him preach and seen His miracles. It was easier for them. But it's been 2,000 years and we've been telling the world, the Lord is coming and the end of the world is coming and it's not yet happened and the world has begun looking at us saying, you're nothing but a bunch of fools. Many are following the scoffers saying, if your God exists, where is the promise of His coming? And Christians are being intimidated by this. And they're beginning to be silent and slothful. They're beginning to hide behind their computers and their homes. And they're being afraid of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're afraid they're going to be ashamed or put 
to shame by the lost when they say, where is the promise of your Lord's coming and the end of the world? God's church today is in a very desperate, degrading stage. We have not heeded the exhortations of Christ in chapter 24 and 25. All these signs are evidence that many of God's people are not watchful and not ready for His coming and the end of the world. And yet such unreadiness and carelessness concerning such things has a terrible and troubling effectiveness both on the preaching of the gospel and the promises of God. on the preaching of the gospel and the promises of God, of which we'll look this morning at only the first. Such unreadiness and carelessness and indifference to the coming of Christ in the end of the world has greatly affected the preaching of the gospel. The gospel that is being preached today in many areas is not the biblical gospel. You know why? Because it lacks the coming of the Lord and the end of the world by the judgment of God. When is thy coming and the end of the world? Was their question. Where once this twofold truth was unashamedly, boldly, and faithfully proclaimed amongst God's people, now it's merely, in many places, a silent whisper or a passing thought. Nothing more. We live not day to day as though the Lord is coming back and the end of the world is imminent. We simply live as though the Lord never will come back and the end of the world will never happen. And yet, do you understand and believe that the coming of the Lord and the end of the world by the judgment of God, that it is the compelling and constraining motivation of every gospel message? You have no gospel where you have no pronunciation or proclamation of the coming of God, the coming of Christ, and the coming of judgment because of the end of the world. We have a gospel today in many places that is lacking this twofold truth. Oh, they preach that sinners need to be saved. Oh, they preach that God's grace must save, they preach there must be repentance, and yet there's no proclamation of the coming of the Lord and the end of the world in that gospel. There's no motivation. There's nothing in that gospel message that says, you don't understand, yes, it is the free grace of God. Yes, God will forgive you because of the sacrifice of Christ. Yes, you must repent, but there must also be because if you don't, he's coming back and the world's coming to an end through His judgment. Do you understand that? That is imperative for the gospel to be complete. Not simply, you need to have a Savior. You need to have a Savior because the Lord is coming, and God will judge the world with that coming. Therefore, it's important that you repent and believe in Christ. Acts chapter 17, Paul said this in verses 30 to 31, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God winked at it, Paul says. 
but now commandeth. It's not a request. You're not invited. It's commanded that all men everywhere repent. The gospel today is not a commandment. It's a plea in a way that leaves it up to man whether he wants to or not. It's not a commandment anymore. You've got to repent. You don't understand this. It isn't a choice. It's a commandment. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because, this is why he commanded them to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. That's a bold statement. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. By who? By that man whom he hath ordained. That is Jesus Christ. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Because Christ is raised from the dead. That's the assurance that he's coming again. So when we preach the gospel, it's not simply, you don't understand. You're a sinner. You need to be forgiven. And only God's grace can save you. And you need to repent if you ever want to go to heaven. No, there's something you need to add to that. Because if you don't, God will come back and judge you for rejecting such a gospel. God will come back and condemn you for rejecting such a gospel. It is a commandment of God that you repent. It's not a pleading. It's a commandment. And because the Lord has delayed His coming in the end of the world, in many ways the church has left off this part of the gospel. I'm getting ahead of myself, but believe me or not, it's easier for folks to accept a gospel that talks about God's grace to forgive, about God sending His Son to, to be a sacrifice for sins, and that we need, even need to repent. They can accept that. They can listen to that. But when you add, because if you don't, God's going to come and judge you and condemn you forever, that's the part they have a hard time accepting. Now, make me an offer. And make me believe I have the right and the sovereignty and the will and the power to approve, receive, or reject. I feel comfortable with that. No, the gospel, that's not the gospel. The gospel is God's sovereign grace. God's grace in Jesus Christ. Only Christ's blood can save. It's only through the blood of Christ that you can be saved. And you have to repent. There's a repentance needed for your transgressions. You have to be born again. And that's all good and fine. Why does all that have to take place? Because if you don't, Christ is coming again to judge the world in righteousness. That's the motivating factor behind the gospel. That's the thunder. And we've left that off because he's delayed his coming. Are we ashamed or are we afraid that we're going to be put to shame by telling people a message that is so old I believe a lot of Christians have problems preaching the gospel or telling the gospel to others because they're intimidated that they're going to be put to shame or they're going to be embarrassed by the fact, well, if I bring up this old subject, the Lord's coming back and the world laughs at me. The world scorns me. They'll ridicule me and mock me. What do you think Paul meant when he said in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? <laughs> 
I'm not ashamed of it. And yet the coming of the Lord and the end of the world has been in many ways excluded from the present day gospel, which makes it no gospel. Beloved, pray for the flyers that we're fixing to send out. It, this is evident in the flyer, flyers. I even <laughs> sure myself went back and read over it again, and it, it's there. God commandeth everyone everywhere to repent, for he's chosen a day. Pray for those flyers, because the gospel has got to be, a, in a way, of a commandment. First Thessalonians chapter 1, 7 and 9, Paul says again, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Do you see how that's entailed in the gospel? That obey not the gospel, flaming fire, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Do you see how that's an essential part of the gospel? It's not merely that God sent Christ into the world to die for sinners. It's not merely that his blood is the only thing that can cleanse. It's not merely that you have to repent of your sins and turn to God. It's not merely that it, it's God's sovereign grace that saves a sinner. It's not of works of righteousness. But it's also because if you don't, if you don't, if you don't obey this gospel, and I've got not time this morning to deal with those sovereign gracers who think that we're trying to do something in the flesh or produce something of ourselves. I ain't got time to mess with you and your nonsense. You preach the gospel to every creature. And you let God do the calling, not you. You preach it to every creature. You get out, you get your spiritual hands dirty. You get your spiritual feet dirty. You get out on the mud and the highway and the byways and you preach the gospel. You compel them to come in. That's the gospel. I'm ahead of myself, but Christ said, pray the Father send out laborers. Not debaters. Not theologians. Laborers. Get your hands dirty for the gospel. Get out where no other men will go. Get out to the drunkards and the harlots and those on the streets, the drug addicts. Preach the gospel. Christ did. And he preached to him the love of God in Christ Jesus, the grace of God in salvation, the need for repentance. But preach it with urgency by completing that by saying, because if you don't, there's a day coming when God will come back and judge you and condemn you for rejecting and disobeying this gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's how our forefathers have been preaching it. Nowadays, we've got a bunch of intellectual idiots that all they want to do is debate about the certain doctrines of God and claim they have the right and the ability to choose who the elect is and who's not. Doctrinal regeneration. I'm so tired of people abusing the gospel like that. I'm telling you, these kind of people have no idea what it's like to get on the street and preach to sinners. They couldn't talk, sit across from a sinner and talk face to face if they tried to. But put them on a computer where they're bold in the privacy of their homes and they can debate and argue with you all day long. Let me tell you something. I've been on the streets. I've talked to sinners. Get out and talk to the sinners. I guarantee you they wouldn't hold up. They wouldn't be able to tell them what to say. You know why? Because they're not 
speaking to theologians or speaking to sinners. But you know what? Them sinners are more smart than they are. We think sinners are stupid. That somehow they're not intelligent enough to deal with us as Christians. Sinners aren't stupid. I've mentioned it before, but when he was in Germany going out to the streets to the drug addicts and the prostitutes and the drunkards, went out there every Saturday for over 14 years, feeding them, giving them clothing, preaching the gospel, and they received us. They spoke to us. We spoke to them about the gospel constantly. Another religious group tried to come in and copy us who really didn't have a heart to be there. Immediately they knew that. The sinners knew that and they drew them out. They physically drew them, threw them out of the, out of the park. They said, you're not real. You're hypocrites. You're not here because you care for us. You're here simply because you're religious. Now that church over there, Fire Evangelische Gemeinde, those people truly care about, sinners know if we truly care for them as individuals and not as statistics. And let me tell you something. I'd much rather sit down across from a sinner anytime before I'd sit down with a theological egghead who believes they know everything about God. Let me talk to a sinner. Let me tell him about the, let me tell him about the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Let me tell him about the forgiveness of sins. Let me tell him about what Christ did that someone might be saved. And then let me tell him as well that you've got to understand you've got to take this message serious because if you don't, you're hanging in the balance. Oh, let me tell you something. You here this morning that's been sitting in the gospel for such a long time, beware, beware. The longer you sit under the gospel and reject it, the longer you find excuses not to accept Jesus Christ, the longer you find excuses to reject and disobey the gospel, the harder your heart's going to be. And let me tell you something. You don't want that to happen. Peter said it would be better that you were never born. Well, you know, if they're not the elect, it doesn't matter any. That makes me so nauseous. I'm telling you, we've left out this part of the gospel. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? From the wrath to come, said John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. Who has warned you to flee? To flee. That's part of the gospel message. We've watered it down because we're afraid to mention this part because this is the part where people are going, ah, I'm skeptical. It's been so long. I mean, you guys have been saying the coming of the Lord is going to happen for generations and nothing's happened. And look at it even now. It makes it even harder in the world now because look what's happening around the world. I mean, things are happening and people are questioning if there's even a God. Elementary kids get shot down in a school. People come back and say, where's your God? It's getting harder. All the famines and pestilences, problems in the world. People are going, if there's a God, why is he allowing all this stuff? Oh, it's getting harder. And you know what we're doing? We're getting intimidated by that. And we're beginning to shrink back into, our, into the closet. We're beginning to shrink back into the shadows. And oh, we want to kind of give a, a gospel message, but let's not give any warning to it. Let's not give any exhortation to it that the Lord's coming back because then we might be made ashamed of. Then they might ridicule us. Then they might say things about us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, nor the promise of his coming, nor the end of the world by the judgment of God. It's coming. Oh, you've been saying that for years, and we'll continue saying it till my last breath, till my last breath. 
I'll believe it. The certainty and overwhelming conviction that Christ's imminent return and therefore the end of the world by the judgment of God sounded like a trumpet from the preaching of the gospel. Many of us have read church history, the Reformers and the Puritans. When they preached, they were so overwhelmingly convinced of the coming of the Lord and the coming judgment of God that people were moved by their passion. And again, I hear people saying, oh, it's not up to you to save people. I'm not saying that. But if we're not convinced of the Lord's coming again, if we're not convinced of the coming judgment of God, if we're not passionate about that, how can we believe other people are going to believe what we're saying? If you're passionate about something, people see that. They accept that. They realize that. Yet we're not passionate about that. Well, you know, there's not really much you can do. Just wait for God's sovereignty to call his elect and we'll just sit in our four walls and behind our computers and have debates on the sovereignty of God and the election and smite other servants. That's happening. That's happening right now. They're not feeding meat in due season. They're smiting the servants. That's, that's what you look at what's happened in the church. We'll all profess we've seen that and possibly ourselves even been guilty in some part of doing that. But look what's happening amongst so-called Christians. They're smiting one another. It's happening. The Spirit of God bearing witness that many who heard were so convinced of this by the preaching of the gospel that countless believed such a thing to be just seconds away. They preached so clearly and passionately because they believed in the coming of Christ and the coming judgment of God when they preached the gospel that many who heard believed the end of the world was just seconds away. They had not time to wait. I'm not going to wait. And today we preach a gospel like, oh, you're not convicted yet? You're not convinced yet? Ah, it's all right. Keep praying. and Hopefully you'll get there. And we walk away. Those of you that are beginning to get convicted, those of you that do have, carry a sense of consciousness for that, uh, you don't have time. You know what? Because it's more dangerous for you than somebody who never heard it. You, you, you don't have time. You, you don't have time. In Acts chapter 2, when they heard this, the preaching of the gospel, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, if God's elected you, you'll come into his fold. No. What Paul say? What Peter say? Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized for their missions of sins. Repent. What shall we do? Repent. The jailer in Acts chapter 17 came trembling and fell down at Paul's feet saying, What must I do to be saved? Well, here's the five points of Calvinism. Paul, who inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote Romans, justification by faith without the works of the law, wrote Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, concerning God's election, predestination. Paul, 
with all his theology. What did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Why do we make it so complicated? As though we're going to get in God's way. I'm going to say something or do something, and it's going to hinder God from sovereignly saving his elect if I try to do it in my flesh. What happened to the sovereignty of God that you believed in? Is he not big enough to get over our theological misguidance? No, when someone's under conviction, this is what you tell them. You don't ever give them the idea they've got another minute. You don't ever give them the idea they've got another day. You tell them you need to repent now and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ now because you might not have tomorrow. Now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in all thy house. Wow, Paul, you didn't go into theological discourse on the sovereignty of God, predestination and election. You didn't try to figure out if they were truly the called of God. And with that said, the thief on the cross surely didn't have time to get involved in all that, did he? <laughs> Master Begg said a good comment on that in a preaching and sermon I listened to a few weeks ago. It's really, really light. I mean, he made kind of lightness of it, but it was true. He didn't have time to learn the five points of Calvinism or seven grace of God or election, predestination. He didn't have time. He's fixing to die. You don't have time. You feel a slight conviction. You feel something going on in your heart. Don't you ever, ever think that you've got time to wait with that. Don't you ever put it aside. Felix did, and he never came back. Almost that persuades me to be a Christian. Almost. Come back, and we'll hear you another time. Never happened. You don't have the time. You don't have the time. Today. Today is the day of salvation. You don't have the time. Why? Because the Lord's coming. And the end of the world. And when that happens, it's too late. You're, you're too late. Now. Many over the years have neglected and in many ways completely removed and excluded this divine exhortation of his coming in the end of the world from the preaching of the gospel. And that for many reasons, of which I'll only speak of a few and see if that possibly hits home. First of all, for fear of sinful man's dislike of the message. We can say what we want to, but many people don't witness for Christ because they're ashamed that people might not like them or say something about them for fear of sinful man's dislike of message. Secondly, many don't because they want to avoid persecution or possibly embarrassment. It's been such a long time, and his coming again is proclaimed many today think it to be merely a myth. So when we or you or I, any of us, say, but the Lord's coming, we're afraid they're going to go, <laughs> right, right, you guys have been saying that for thousands of years. He's not here. I'm not an idiot. You can say what you want to. Even Christians uh, have too much sense of pride, don't we? Also, like I said, the world more willing to accept a gospel which speaks of grace, forgiveness, and repentance. Yet a gospel with a promise of coming judgment if rejected and disobeyed, they don't want to hear that. Many gospel invitations or many gospel tracts kind of leave the end open. 
There's no open end to the gospel. You know why? If we understood, and I hope this helps us, if we understood the biblical truth that man is judged according to what he knows and understands, the moment you and I tell somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ, from that moment on, they are responsible before God. Do you know that? Oh, no, uh, yeah, no you're, you're putting it back on man being it. And I'm not, and again, I don't have time to deal with that nonsense. They are immediately responsible before God. And we're responsible to say, now that you've heard that, I've, I'm, I'm bound to tell you out of love for thee as a sinner and a greater love for Christ, if you deny this message, if you reject this message, if you disobey this message, something great and terrifying is awaiting you. You have to understand that. You have to realize that. So when we go out and tell other people about the gospel, it's not like, you know, tiptoeing through the tulips. You probably don't even know what that song is. But anyway, it's, it's not even, it's not doing, it's not just simply giving out a joyful message. No, it's, you're, you're, these tracks that we're sending out, when people read those, do you realize that we're making them responsible before God? Do you know that? So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to, like our dear brother said, we're going to follow up and we're, I know people don't like it in this day and age. Old-fashioned. Doesn't work. We're going to go door to door. Say, hey, did you get our flyer? Did you read it? Can we talk about it? Oh, what an open opportunity. This flyer is going to open a lot of doors. Because <laughs> now we don't just say, well, I'm from Reformed Baptist Church. When I invite you to church, going to go, hey, we sent out a flyer. Did you get it? Oh, you did. Did you read it? Can we talk about it? You got any questions? Open door. Well, we can't infringe on them. We're going to infringe on them. We shouldn't do that. No, we should. Go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come into the house. Compel them to come into the house of the Lord. The others that believe in free grace, they can sit in the silent confines of their own home and wait for God to sovereignly bring them by. But that isn't what Christ said. Christ said, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. Go into the world and preach it to every creature. What I do, stand on the corner like a Jehovah Witness and hope that somebody walks by and I can talk to them? No, we're going we're gonna to go to them. Oh, you're making it too much about good works. No, I'm not. It's a commandment. It's a commandment. Look at the book of Acts. Look at the Gospels. Look where Christ went. I must need to go through Samaria. If you understood the time period and the way the Jews and the Samaria treated each other during that time period, you'd have much more respect for Christ saying that because they were hated of the Jews. I mean, despicably hated. In fact, they were so hated, the Jews would go completely around Samaria. They didn't care if it took them longer, days to get around Samaria. They would not go through Samaria because they was the hated people. The Lord said, I'm going right in the middle of it. And then again, not only that, look at Christ. To save sinners, what did he do? God sent him into the world. What kind of world? A world full of sinners, wickedness, and vileness. 
God sent his son right in the midst of that. So where, we, which, where should we be? Right in the midst of it. And thirdly, this divine truth of Christ coming again in the end of the world is often excluded or neglected in the preaching of the gospel because so many Christians have themselves become weary and frustrated at Christ's delay in coming that its divine truth has now little or no impact or influence upon their own hearts. We don't really believe it. Oh, yeah, I do. I, I do. Therefore, the preaching of the gospel is not so fervent and passionate. Oh, there you go, making it about us again. It's God that's got to save. Again, I ain't got time to see, deal with nonsense. George Whitfield said it best, and I like how he said it. He said, we need, we need more Christ-felt preaching. Amen? Christ-felt preaching. The gospel of God's free grace in Christ Jesus, dearly beloved, must entail the message of Christ coming and the end of the world by the judgment of God upon all. And those who reject and disobey the gospel, or it's not the whole gospel. It's not the whole gospel. Look over in Second Corinthians. Stay with me a few more minutes. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Let me show you Paul's wording concern about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15. Speaking of the gospel, the preaching, he says, For we are unto God a sweet Savior of Christ in them that are saved and in them that are perish. To the one we are the Savior of death unto death, and to the other the Savior of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? What's he talking about? The gospel will either be a Savior of life unto life or a savior of death unto death, it shall either save someone or, or arise up and condemn them. Paul says every time I preach, it's either going to be a savior of unto life or a savior unto death. And he says, who's sufficient of that? Real preachers of the gospel know the weight of this burden. Not only do they have to bear responsibility of everyone unto which God has called them to preach, which is a huge burden. That's why I believe people or men that are not called of God should stay away from the pulpit. Stay as far away from it as you can if God has not called you to it. Because I tell you, we're going to stand before God and be held responsible for what we've done with the gospel. Paul said, who's sufficient for this? And I won't go there, but... That's why it wearies me in this day and age when so many young Christians can stand up against a preacher and be so bold and arrogant. If God holds the preacher responsible for what he's doing, guess what's going to happen to those who stand up against his anointed, his preachers, his oracles? Read Hebrews, you'll find out. But Paul said, who's vision of these things? Verse 17, for we are not as many as corrupt the word of God, but as sincerity, but of, as of God in the sight of God speak when Christ. Paul says, we're not corrupting it. We're going to keep the gospel away. We don't corrupt it. Many corrupt it. Paul says, we're not going to do that. Look at Matthew chapter 28. 
well-known passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 28. Stay with me a few more moments. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. There is our encouragement. Okay? Go ye therefore, because of what he just said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Go therefore and teach all nations. Being the mark, he said, preach the gospel to every creature. That's what Christ told his church to do. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed of it. Go preach it to every creature. I've got power. Why does he, why does he give us such encouragements? Because, beloved, we need divine encouragement and divine power to preach the gospel in a work, world that lieth in wickedness. Especially now when his, his coming and the end of the world has been so long delayed. People are going to mock us and ridicule us and laugh at us and scorn us. And yet we still must, by the grace of God, preach the gospel to every creature. Believing in our hearts, passionately, he's coming again. And with his coming, the judgment of God upon the world. One last verse, Matthew chapter 9. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 9. <laughs> it's Christ here. Love this. Matthew nine thirty six. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he is moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. That's important to understand that, because the Spirit of God would have us first sense the desire of Christ for the lost. He had compassion on them. Oh, Christ only has compassion on the elect. It doesn't say it. It said it had compassion on them. Don't rest the Scriptures. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Notice he says laborers, workers, hard workers. What does he say to do? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Pray to God, the Lord of the harvest, his Father, that he would send forth. That word send forth means thrust out. Not just, hey, you want to go? <laughs> thrust them out. Woe is to me if I preach not the gospel. Remember Martin Luther's words when he stood before him about his conviction for God's truth and Scripture? Church history's filled of it. I've got to preach it. Why do you got to preach it? God is thrusting me out. I've got to. It's a divine urgency God puts in our hearts and our souls. He sends us out. He thrusts us out into the harvest to labor. It's not easy. It's not easy to labor. That he was sent forth laborers into his harvest. It is laborers which we must pray that God sends forth into his harvest. Not intellectual debaters who hide behind the safety of their computers while condemning and criticizing others. It's easy to be bold behind a monitor in the silence and quietude of your own home. Get out on the streets and talk to a sinner who laughs in your face, who mocks you, who maybe even spits on you and calls you a fool and an idiot 
and a holy roller. Get out there on the streets where it really means to labor for the gospel and get away from your solitude. We'll see how much we really are desirous for the gospel. You ever notice in the book of Acts when they got persecuted for the gospel, they rejoiced? Paul gets stoned. Him and his buddy get stoned. I mean, I've never been stoned, but I've seen pictures of it. It's horrific. I mean, they don't get up little skipping stones like we do on the lake. I mean, they picked up pretty big stones. And they, I mean, you could hear bones crack. You could hear, I mean, blood spurting, splatting everywhere. And Paul and his brother gets up and gets in and they sing and they rejoice. Why? That they could be persecuted for the cause of Christ. Isn't that amazing when they got persecuted for it? They were happy. They sang in prison. That's the whole thing with the jailer. They sang in prison. The Lord would send forth laborers. Laborers. I love that word. Laborers. Not intellectuals. To preach the gospel. Not to those they choose worthy or intellectual enough, but to everyone who believeth. Beloved, we got to remember when we go out to sinners and when we send out flyers. And these are not... These are not people that are educated in the things of God. They don't understand doctrine. So let's be careful that we don't make our flyers a doctrinal statement. Keep it simple. Let it be the gospel. Amen? Too many flyers out there are doctrinal statements. People are reading those going, what in the world are they saying? I have no idea. But oh, the gospel. You're a sinner. You've transgressed against God. The commandments of God are against you. Unless you repent, you'll perish. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and be born again. For if not, the Lord is coming in within the judgment of the world and you'll be condemned forever. Uh, can you imagine Christ coming down and holding a theological debate with mankind? None of us would ever understand what in the world he was talking about. He's God. But like we said last week, he came down and he said, look here, John, that's a fig tree. Fig tree. Let me give you an illustration. Lift the lid. Lift the leaf. No fruits? That's hypocrisy. Oh, look here. Here's a vineyard. Let me tell you what this means. Every time I think about that, I'm amazed and astounded at the mercy and grace of God. <laughs> that he would condescend that far down to say, listen, dummies, this is a vineyard. You're a sheep. They're a goat. Here's a tear. Here's wheat. We're not trying to indoctrinate the sinners to believe the sovereign election of God. We're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simple. Clear. Amen. May God give us grace when we preach the gospel not to leave out the coming of the Lord in the end of the world by the judgment of God because that is the thunder which brings the gospel of grace home to the heart of the sinner. You ain't got time. You ain't got tomorrow. It's now. Easy believism. And even hyper-gracers or Calvinists are merely blind leading the blind, if you ask me. Leave the labor to those whom God sends forth. 
and who are not afraid or ashamed to preach the gospel to every creature, trusting in God to call his elect. That's what we do. Amen. And may God give us grace to do so. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the clarity of thy word. We pray that God, you'd impart upon our hearts and our minds. Lord, even here in our little city here, I pray that, Lord, you'd impart upon us, Lord, the desire and the urgency to preach the gospel. Lord, bless these flyers we're sending out. I pray that, Lord, you'd bless them. God, I pray the Holy Spirit would use them. And Lord, as people read these things, I pray when we go out, send us to those, Lord God, whom you've begun a work of grace in their hearts. Lord, just like, just like the Philippian, Lord God, uh, Lord, who didn't really know exactly who the Word of God was talking about. I pray, Father Lord, the eunuch, Father, that you would help us, Father, Lord God, send us to those whom these tracks maybe will spur in their heart questions that they would not of themselves seek. But Father, when they're confronted with them, Lord God, what an open door it gives us to tell them of the things of Christ. Bless now we pray. Help us, Lord God, as a church. Lord, never ever to be forgetful of your great mercy and grace in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord God. Lord, you said we should pray to the Lord of harvest, that he'd send forth laborers into his fields. Father, we're asking that you'd send us forth. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us, Lord God, to go out and preach it to every creature, believing and trusting that you and you alone can bring salvation. Father, we love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.